showed his authority over evil spirits by healing a man uh, who had uh, demonic oppression uh, in front of the whole synagogue. And these people marveled at that. They said, wow, what authority this man teaches with. Uh, and so we get to see how we can have peace because of Jesus and his, his authority. Um, and then last week, Nick talked about uh, love. He actually titled the, the sermon, like, Ugly Love, uh, because Jesus, in spite of all of our ugliness and our grossness, he talked about Romans, uh, how in spite of those things, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He still loved us enough to come and be on this earth and to be here with us. And so this week, we're moving into that fourth topic. It's the topic of joy. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to cover this one um, because I think this is something, uh, this, this theme, the, the why behind why we should have joy, is something that I think God's been showing me or speaking to me about for the last, like, two, two and a half years. And that's, that really is exciting to me. It's a theme that I think he's shown me all through Scripture. It's a theme um, all throughout the Bible. And I'm, I'm really uh, excited to do that. So uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Justin, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at Common Ground. Uh, I'm also the director of a ministry called Campus Ventures, which works with college students at the School of Mines. Um, and so even, it's been really cool, even as we've gone through the, the semester, we went through the book of Matthew, and at the beginning of the semester, we talked about Matthew chapter 1, which is where we're going to be today. Uh, and we were talking about this theme of God's name, one of his names being Emmanuel, God with us, and the implications of what that means, to have a God who wants to be with us, to be with you, and to be with me. And I'm really excited to, to speak about that again today and look at it from this, this topic of, of joy. Um, and so, can we go to the next, next slide? So, if you're taking notes, uh, well, first off, if you're not taking notes, Start now. Go to your phone. I won't be offended. Uh, take out some notes. Um, I think that's a really good thing to do. Uh, if you are like me, then your brain is, is worth nothing when you leave here. You don't remember any of it, um, except maybe some fuzzy feelings. So uh, take some notes. And secondly, uh, now that you have your note-taking device out and you're taking notes, um, write this down. This, I think, is going to be the key thought for the rest of this morning. I'm going to repeat this a few times as we go. Uh, and hopefully, as we go through Scripture, I'm going to uh, try to see and help you see that this, this is true. Uh, and, and it's this, this statement, kind of the main point. Uh, joy is awareness of God's grace meant to lead us to an expression of confidence in that grace. Okay, it's a long sentence. Learning from Paul, how to make really long sentences. Let me say it again. Joy is awareness of God's grace meant to lead us to an expression of confidence in that grace. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to see that as we go. Um, so I'm going to leave that up there. You can think about that uh, while I tell you a story. So uh, we're thinking about, about this topic, about joy. And traditionally, when people think about this topic... Uh, people have thought about Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, and the joy that she would have experienced being the mother of the Savior of the world. 
And I just think it's really interesting. So, so I was thinking about birth, and I was thinking about my own children and my wife and the experience that she went through. And then we come here this morning, and Pastor Evan and Lena are in the middle of this experience right now, which is just really cool. So uh, hopefully I can, I can tie that in well. Um, so when we first started with Campus Ventures, we were working in Powell, Wyoming, uh, which is my hometown. And that was in 2014. Fall, yeah, fall of 2014, and Sarah and I had just celebrated our, our first um, wedding anniversary, and we had started with Campus Ventures, and about two months into that, we found out that she was pregnant, which was really cool, and also kind of terrifying, because our plan was five years from marriage, and uh, that, was, that was shortly after one year, uh, so that was very different from our, our plan, um, but what was cool about that was, um, well, it's cool looking back. In the moment, it wasn't cool at all. But we, the way that we found out was that she was having complications. Uh, she was having some issues, and we were talking to my family, and my aunt had some ectopic pregnancies, and they were saying, like, maybe that kind of sounds like a similar thing. And so Sarah took a pregnancy test, and that's how we found out that she was pregnant was through these, these complications. So we go to the doctor, and they're explaining to us, you know, the the uh, the embryo has like disattached from the uterine wall and it's kind of a 50-50 shot like maybe it'll attach and maybe not we just don't really know and there's not really much we can do uh, to help with that and so from that point which was very early on in the pregnancy we just we just knew that God loved this child and that more than ours this was God's child and that he's totally in control and if he wanted us to be parents to this child he would and over the scope of the rest of that pregnancy, there were, there were more complications. She stayed in there, which was great. Uh, she, she didn't miscarry. Um, and then as things went, uh, we remember going, Sarah had um, some premature, um, what's it called, water, water breaking, before contractions, way before any of that should have been happening. Her water broke prematurely. And we, we, still hadn't, we still didn't know yet if that was what was going on. And so we went to our midwife, and she was going to do this test and uh, figure out if that's what was going on. And I remember being in the room and watching her administer the test, and she holds up the swab, and it turns black, which she told us that was like, that means that, that this is not good. And I didn't know what, I didn't know what that meant for the rest of our life, but I knew that it was not that was not good, and I remember almost passing out. It's like one of the only times in my life I've ever been either passed out or close to passed out. I had to, like, sit down <laughs> and, like, take off my hat and breathe. My poor wife is sitting there on the table, like, just handling it like a champ, and I'm over in the corner just huddled up, and I can't, because I, I didn't know. I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know if we're losing the baby. I don't know if this means, like, what? I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but what, what it did mean was we had to move for, like, two months, from Powell to Billings, Montana. So we had to move an hour and a half away from home, away from family, away from friends. And the rest of that time, from the time that Sarah uh, had to be kind of in bed rest until she gave birth, and then even after that, it was, it was awful. It was just a lot of, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty. Uh, we had to, she had to just sit in bed the whole time. Um, we just had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, they kept telling us there's this risk of infection uh, and that it was, like, very, very important that we get the baby out as soon as it made sense. 
Um, and we just didn't know what to do. Just a lot of praying and a lot of asking God, what do you want? And a lot of not really sure what direction he wanted us to go. A lot of difficult things. And then finally, she goes into labor. And it was, it was natural labor, which is what we wanted and what we prayed for. Um, and Aaliyah is born. And our firstborn is there. And we're able to hold her and hang out with her. And that was, that was a joyous experience. There was a lot of suffering that led up to that joy. There was a lot of difficulty that led up to that joy. Uh, and and that's, that's how it is with childbearing, believe it or not. Uh, there's a lot of difficulty. I think Lena, probably right now, is going through a lot of difficulty and struggle. And the joy does not come in the middle of that, and it doesn't come before that. The joy comes after once the struggle is done, the joy comes. The joy is, is a response to that. And so we experienced that with Aaliyah. And we were, were eventually able to bring her home, and that was a very joyful experience. Um, but everything in the middle was really difficult. It was really hard. Uh, and even when our, our second born, it was much less dramatic, uh, still a struggle, still difficult, uh, something for Sarah to push through. And then once that happened, we had the joy of a second child, that we get to bring home and we get to enjoy her together. Um, and so this is something that I think we all kind of kind of relate to. I don't know if you guys have seen a baby lately, but they're great. They're really cute. Uh, and they are a joy. Um, but you enjoy them more, I think, when they're outside the womb than in. You get to interact with them more when they're outside <laughs> than in. Uh, and so I think that there's, there's this, this, this thing that we all kind of understand about where you've got to kind of get through this hard part to get to the joy part. But when it comes to our faith, I think sometimes we can walk into things and we can begin to think that we kind of treat our, our faith life as though we're just kind of always in suffering mode or we're always in kind of the, 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 the difficulty mode. And it's, we begin to lose sight of the joy of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, do I have another slide after this one with that? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we live as though there's not a reason for joy. We live as though life is only suffering. We live as though we've gone through the childbearing process and then forgot to bring the baby home from the hospital. Like you went through all the hard stuff and that's all you remember, but you don't bring the, the joy home. That's sometimes that's how we end up living. Um, and I think that's a problem. I don't think God wants that. I don't think he wants your life to be one that's just, that's just covered in only suffering, only difficulty. I think part of what he wants us to do is to have joy. And so the question is, well, then what, how, do, how do we do that? How do we move away from joylessness? Um, and I think that God has an answer to that, um, and, it, and it comes from his word. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to go to um, Matthew chapter 1. Um, I'm going to have, can you go to the next slide? Yeah, perfect. We're going to leave that up there again for you guys to kind of think of uh, while, we're, while we're going. Um, and so if you guys go to Matthew 1, we're going to jump into there pretty soon. But before we do, I want to give you some, some context, right? I've, I've put up here sort of a definition of what joy is, and I think I need to, I need to connect some dots um, for you guys so that you guys can all agree with me and say that I'm right. Um, so... I said, joy is awareness of God's grace meant to lead us to an expression of confidence in that grace. So where does that come from? Well, when I do research, when I'm looking into stuff, I really like, uh, I like words. I like, 
Hebrew. I like looking into what these words meant in their original contexts because that helps me understand what I'm reading right now, what I'm reading today. It helps me have a right understanding of what that is. Um, so I'm gonna, we're going to walk through and we're going to define together. We're going to look at um, what, what the Hebrew says and what the Greek says about these words uh, so that we can come to this mutual definition. Okay, so uh, next slide I think has the Hebrew word. Yeah, so uh, I like to start with Hebrew. Hebrew is my favorite uh, language. I love the Old Testament. I love the Hebrew language because it's very literal. They don't think in abstracts like we do. They think in concrete things. So the word for joy in Hebrew is actually a neutral word. It can either be used in a positive way or it can be used in a negative way because it's describing a, a, a literal thing, a physical reaction. Uh, so the word up here, uh, renah, um, it simply means to cry or to sing out or to shout, okay? It's something that we, we practiced this earlier. If a Hebrew were to walk in here, uh, an Israelite were to walk in here earlier today and hear us singing, they would describe that as renah, okay? That's a, it's a physical thing that you're doing. Um, and so it's a physical response, singing, shouting, weeping, etc., to an overwhelming spiritual reality. So as we are up here singing, that, that song in Christ alone is one of my favorites. And part of what we're doing is we're singing in response to this amazing spiritual reality of God's deliverance, of his salvation, of his protection of us in our salvation. And that's it's really awesome. It's something that deserves our, our worship. And so that's what we're doing, right? That's what Renah is in the Hebrew. It's a physical response to this overwhelming spiritual reality. That's the word that's used for joy. Um, okay, and the next one is coming from the Greek. Um, and so when we look at the Greek word, I was really surprised by this, actually. The Greek word for joy is uh, kara. And it means joy, delight, or it can even be describing the source of joy. And if you know Greek, then you might have already known this, but kara is the, the same family as the word charis, which means grace. That's the word that gets used over and over and over again in the New Testament when describing God's grace, his gift to us of salvation. And so I think it's really cool that when they were writing the New Testament, the word that they chose to use to describe what joy is comes from this word for grace. They're totally connected to each other. You, in, in my opinion, you can't really properly like understand or experience joy without grace, without the gospel, according to the Greek, which is cool. Um, so then I would say, as they kind of define it, can you go back one? Thank you. Joy is properly, according to scripture, awareness of God's grace, or awareness of God's um, favor, his blessing. Okay, so all I did was I took those two things, and I smashed them together, and that's how I came to my definition, right? Um, so can we go back to that? Is the next one? Yes. So joy is an awareness of God's grace. That's the Greek, right? But it's not just an awareness. It's meant to do something, right? It's meant to lead us to an expression of confidence in that grace, which gets expressed all kinds of ways. It gets expressed when we sing here together. It gets expressed in communion. We are celebrating. We are, we are, we are aware of the grace that God has shown us by giving his body and his blood, and we respond to that by physically doing something that teaches us something about, about that grace, that we get to experience it together. 
uh, which is really cool. So what we're doing, like even just in this service, is joy, technically, which I think is pretty cool. I think I had heard growing up that joy is not a feeling like happiness is. Joy is like a, it's like a state of mind or it's like a thing that you do. And I was like, well, but what does that look like? <laughs> it's not a feeling. Like, how do you, how do, you do joy? Uh, and, and I think scripturally that's, that's kind of what we're putting into practice today. And so my goal with this definition in mind is so two things. I want to I help you and me come to scripture, and I want us in that engaging with scripture to, to, to one, have a greater awareness of God's grace. But not that it would just fill up our brains and make our brains bigger, because you guys have plenty of big brains. We've got to do something with that. Uh, I want us to be moved to have an expression of that confidence in God's grace, that we would, that we would walk through our daily life with the confidence that comes with that greater awareness of God's grace. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, now I want to go to Scripture, because now I think we have the right frame of mind to approach Scripture and look. And I think that Scripture, the, the verses that I'm going to focus in on, Matthew 1 and 2, Jesus' birth, and then at the end of Jesus' life, Matthew 28, both in those situations we're going to see the way that people reacted and had this reaction. They had joy as the right response to what God was doing. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. Uh, today. So um, if you're already there, that's great. Good job. Um, we're going to Matthew 1, and we're going to skip the genealogy, not because I don't think it's important, but because I don't want to keep you here for longer than two hours. Um, so if we're just going to go straight to Matthew 1, and we're going to go to the end of Matthew 1. I can get there, too. I might just read it from the screen at this point. Okay, so we're going to start um, at verse 18. Uh, so I've got it up on the screen. This is the ESV version. Um, and I did that before I remembered that I didn't have my ESV Bible anymore. So I'm going to read it in a different version. But it'll just make it interesting for you to pay attention. Uh, now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, happened this way. When his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, made up his mind to dismiss her secretly. But while he considered these things, behold, an angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua which, uh, for he will save his people from their sins. I'm going to pause there for a second. Names are super important in the Bible, and I just love names in general. Uh, so the name Jesus, Yeshua, means literally Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves his people. Okay, that's Jesus' name. So it's inextricably tied to his identity, what he's come to do. And this angel is coming to tell Joseph, this baby that your wife is going to have is the savior of God's people. He is the expression of Yahweh saving his people. That is a big, big deal, okay? And so for Joseph and for Mary both, I think their response to this has just got to be joy. I mean, there's probably some, like, nervousness, of course. This is pretty crazy. 
but, but the joy that would come with that, that kind of grace, I just can't even fathom that. And then uh, now here's the part that I think is really cool, because we're going to get to the part that, that Nick was talking about earlier and setting this up beautifully. Uh, so verse 22 again. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by Yahweh through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? Say it again. God with us. Okay? Not God around us. Not God near us. Not God far away from us. God with us. Sometimes we, we just gloss over that because you've heard it for however many years you've been on this earth going to Christmas services. You hear Emmanuel, and you know it means God with us, and then we move on with our day. We need to stop. We need to think about that word, with, because it's a big deal. And I think the with of this verse is where the joy can really come in. We understand the grace that gets tied to the with. Um, so we're, gonna, we're going to explore that. Um, let's keep going. So verse 24, when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of Yahweh commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not know her intimately until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Yeshua, Yahweh saves, Jesus. Okay, so Jesus' names, his identity, who he is, what he's come to do, he is Yahweh in the flesh. He's the God of the Old Testament who's come and he stepped in to flesh to be a little baby, to be God with us. Not just as some, like, ethereal idea, but literally as a child to be with us. And the purpose of that, not just so he could hang out with us, he has a purpose in mind. And we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? That he came in order to live this, this sinless life that we won't and to die a death that you and me deserve and then to give us a life that we don't deserve based on the merit of, of, of his work, of his blood. That's awesome. So totally, like, from, from the get-go, what Matthew wants you to know is this is God in the flesh and he's here to save you. And that's really, really good news. That's exciting. And so what I think is really cool is as we continue the story, so let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Um, again, for the sake of time, I've glossed over some things, uh, but I'll give you the, the cliff notes. Um, so some wise men come. They, they've been studying. They've been combining science with Scripture. They are looking for the ways that these things intertwine, and they have found it. And they've been looking, and they're really into uh, the stars and looking at what, how, how that's going to tell them uh, what's coming next. And they take that knowledge, and they go to Jerusalem because they're looking for the king. They're like, okay, if the king is going to be born, he's probably going to be born to the current king. That's the way that this usually works. And so they show up to Herod, who's the current um, ruler, and they're like, hey, where's the king that's supposed to be, supposed to be born? And he's like, nope. Not me, not my wife. We haven't had any kids. Uh, and now he's bothered, right? Because they, they let him in on, okay, well, there's supposed to be a king here, and this is, this is prophecy, and so if God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, and now Herod is, is frustrated. He wants, um, he wants this plan stopped. He wants to rule, not Jesus. Uh, but the, the wise men are able to continue on their merry way. 
and make it to where Jesus actually is. And this part, I think, is really cool. Okay, so here comes the star again. Uh, it says, when the wise men saw the star, the star was like, like uh, above the house where Jesus was staying. The star was guiding them to where they needed to go. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of joy. They're really happy. <laughs> They're really excited. They rejoiced, which is already cool, exceedingly with great joy. Okay? So let's, let's uh, rewind again. Matthew 1, God with us. God saving us. Yahweh saving his people. How do the wise men respond to that? This is an expression of, of glory, an expression of grace upon his people. And the wise men respond rightly. They come and they're excited. They, they are filled with joy because they have, they have a response to this grace. And so what do they do? Going into the house, they saw the child, Jesus, and Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. We had some friends over last night, and they brought over a baby, and it was really, really cute. But I did not want to just, like, empty out all the storehouses and give them to that baby, as cute as it was. Okay? I'm sure you've seen cute babies. I'm sure that you've had cute babies. Nobody comes and just, like, dumps lavish gold at the foot of your baby and worships them, I hope. If they do, then talk to me about it. I don't know. I just want to find out what happened. Uh... This is not normal, okay? This is not just because this baby's cute. These guys are responding to something that they see as God at work. God's grace is being revealed to his people, and we will respond by going way out of our way to find him, to, to bow our faces below a, a baby, a child, and worship it as, as God. And then we're going to empty out everything that we have all of our gold, all of our expensive perfumes and spices. Everything that we have that's of any worth belongs to him. That's their, that's their response. These wise men are experiencing joy. They have an awareness of God's great grace. And it doesn't just stop at them being like, wow, that's cool. That's great for Israel. We'll stay where we are. Like their response is, let's go see that baby. Let's go see God in the flesh. And then, let's worship him. And then, while we're on the way, we're not just stopping on the way at a, a Target and grabbing a card. Like, we're going to grab everything that we own that's of value, and we're bringing it all the way with us, and then we're laying it at this baby's feet because he is worth this. So the, the wise men experienced this, this joy that came from this awareness of God's grace it was meant to lead them to an expression of confidence in that grace. And you tell me. I, I mean, talk about putting your money where your mouth is. Like, they had confidence. This really was God. Otherwise, they're acting like totally crazy people. And, and this is how it should be for us, too, right? People should probably look at us and be like, wow, they're kind of crazy. Why are they acting like this is such a big deal? Because it is. Because <laughs> he's the God of the universe. And he promised to be with us. And that's really exciting to me. Okay, so now we've talked about the, the birth of Jesus, which is kind of the, the, the big, important thing. Um, but I would be remiss. I just can't let it go without going to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. 
Because I think this is really cool, and I think it ties together. I think there's actually some really cool parallels that happen between these, more than I'm going to show you today. Um, and that gets me going, so hopefully it gets you going too. Ooh, I'm so excited. Uh, so if you will, turn to Matthew 28, and we're going to read um, the first part of it, just uh, like a few verses, and then the, the very last part of Matthew 28. Um, and so in the middle of this, in the middle of Jesus' birth and Matthew 28, um, Jesus lives this amazing life. He teaches a lot of people. He heals a lot of people. He's been spending a lot of time with his disciples, training them, mentoring them, coaching them for when he leaves. Because he knows the game plan this whole time, the whole reason he came is to be God with his people for the purpose of saving them, saving them from their sins. So it's got to happen somewhere. He's been with them this whole three years, and now he's got to save them. How is that going to work? Well, he's got to die, and that's not enough. I mean, if, if he's just dead, then, okay, our sins are gone, but where's the new life? But then he raises up again from the grave, and, and now he's ready to give that life that he earned. The death that he conquered, he's ready to do that in your life, too. He's ready to do that in the life of the disciples. Uh, so this is really cool, right? So we get to uh, Matthew 28. Let's see, what do I have here? Uh, 5 through 10. Uh, so Mary and some of the other uh, women who were following Jesus, some of his disciples, came to where he had been buried. They don't know yet that he's risen. So this is, this is what we would call like Easter Sunday. Uh, they're showing up to the tomb, expecting him to be dead. Uh, they see an angel. They're really freaked out, rightly so. Um, and starting in verse 5, the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly now and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to the Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So what do they do? They've just been told good news. Jesus is not dead. Actually, he's actually risen. They go see the place where he was buried and he was dead. Not there anymore. Immediately, quickly, they left the tomb with fear and yet with what? Great joy. They just experienced the grace of their Savior. So they're kind of scared, but they're also really, really excited. They have a, a response of joy. Can you imagine that? Fear and great joy mixed together. I can't even, like, fathom what that would, what that would feel like exactly. I don't know how I would, how would, I, I would articulate that. But anyways, uh, so they leave with fear and great joy and ran to bring news to his disciples. And Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they drew near, grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Jesus says, don't be afraid. You're fearful and you're joyful. Keep the joy. What's the fear? Go tell my brothers to head for the Galilee, and there they will see me. So again, same exact thing. Same thing as his birth. He rises from the dead. They haven't seen him yet. They know that what he's been talking about, and finally it's beginning to click. And they see that he's risen from the dead, and they run to tell the disciples, and on the way, they experience Jesus. And Jesus says, keep the joy, get rid of the fear, and their response is worship. They fall down at his feet, 
and they worship him. He is the God of the universe. He's, he is the God who is with us. He is the God who came to save us. This is, this is their response to him. You don't do that for just anybody. You don't fall at anybody's feet and worship them, I hope. This response for them comes from this confidence in the grace that they've just been shown because now they see that it's real. They see the culmination of his identity and what he came to do, that he is God with us and that he is Yahweh saving us. And so some of you guys might have this, this next um, section memorized. You can go to the next part of Matthew 28. It's one of my favorite parts of Matthew 28. Uh, it's the very end, and, and I love this. Um, so the disciples gather together. The, 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 the ladies go and they tell the, the 11 remaining disciples what's just happened. And they all gather together, and they go to the Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had told them to go to. And so starting in verse 17, it says, When they saw him, so this is all the disciples now, what did they do? Say it loud. Yeah, they worshipped him, right? The same thing, same response as the wise men, same response as the ladies who've just seen him. They worship him. It's a big deal. They are seeing in the flesh, again, God with us. Now, back from the dead, redeeming us from, from our sin. But some doubted. Some wavered. I think that's really interesting. There are some there who, I don't know if that's mixed in with their worship or if that was like a separate crowd or what was going on there. But some doubted. And Jesus' response is, he comes to them and he speaks, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority is left if Jesus has all of it from heaven and earth? None. Excellent. Very good. If Jesus has it all, there is none left. Which means that whatever he's about to say next is a really big deal <laughs> and should really be taken seriously and should be done as best as we can. Okay? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you to do. And remember, I am what? With you. How long? Always to the very end of the age. And then he leaves. That doesn't make any sense. He just promised to be with them. His name is God with us, and God saves us. So how can he just leave after saying this? If we keep going, we go to like Acts, and we read about the Holy Spirit, and it's this promise of his presence. And so now his Holy Spirit, instead of it just being Jesus around this posse of 11 guys, being God with us, now the Holy Spirit fills all the believers of Jesus so that he can be with them present with them in a better way than him being in person with just this 11. He can now be indwelling every single one of his followers, including you and me. That's awesome. That is a cause for great joy. That should lead us, that, that grace, that he does not have to do that. We are not uh, by ourselves fit vessels for him to dwell in. But he comes, and he makes that possible, and he decides to live in us anyways. He cleans house. 
He makes us what, we want, what he wants us to be. He lives inside of us. And then he gets to fulfill this promise that he made to be with us always to the end of the age. And I, I just think that's awesome. I think that, that uh, if we go to the next slide, it's just this again, right? The disciples are able to, to look at that and have great joy. They get this awareness of God's grace that, yes, he did come to be with us. Yes, he did come to save us. And then he did it. He died, took on my sin, my punishment. He rose again. He conquered that sin and punishment. And then he's living this new vibrant life that he then offers to me and to you. And we get to just take it. We get to just say, yes, I want that. I will follow you. I'll give you my life in exchange for that, that great life. That, that is it's just so cool to me that we get to, off, we get to operate in that, the confidence of that grace, that grace that came and, and paid the sacrifice for us. Uh, so I know I've talked at length about God um, with us, but I want to just take it home just a little bit more. Uh, so, hey, Jamin, would you come up here? Be my volunteer. <laughs> I know I'm told. Can we go to the next slide? Okay, so we're going to, me and Jamin, are going to show you why God with us is better than any other option. Okay? Uh, so I'm excited for that. You ready? Okay. Uh, so the first one would be God, God far from us. And so, yeah. We can just keep kind of going forever. And this, this is not good, right? But this is the worldview of a lot of people. But if there's a God out there, Jamie, would you lay down real quick? Thank you. If there's a God out there, I don't know where he is, and it's not really worth the trouble anyways. I don't, I, it's like, it doesn't really matter. So I'm just going to live my life the way that I want. Because it doesn't matter. He's, he's either far from me, or he doesn't exist at all. So... What's the point? Thank you, Jamin. You are excellent. Okay, now let's, uh, let's go to the next one. God around us. Uh, so you can just stay kind of right there. That's good. We're kind of like around, and I'm sort of around you. Um, but if, if we're to do like a, a project together, we have something that we're working on together, being around isn't really enough. Me being around Jamin is not enough for me to know him. It's not enough for me to know who he is as a person, because even just from this distance, it's going to be hard to have any kind of even conversation or relationship, right? Uh, it's not as good. Having God around us is, is not what we need. It, it, that wouldn't cause enough, enough joy to be worth it. All right, Jamin, uh, this next one, let's see. You come right here. It'd be great. All right, so Jamin is the, the person of God. Now, can I turn around? Great, thanks. God in front of us. Now, again, some of these things are going to be like, okay, I see some of this in Scripture. God does go before us. He does, he does win the battle. It's not, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, we think about the way that we are interacting with Jesus. If we think about him as always just being in front of us, does he, like, have any connection to what I'm doing? Like, just look at the way that we're oriented. If we're moving through life together, and he's in front of me, can he see anything that I'm doing? Can he help me with anything that I'm struggling with if he stays ahead of me and is moving ahead? He can, like, solve some problems, 
But in terms of like what I struggle with and what I deal with, he's not there to help me with that. He's just plowing on ahead, and I've got to keep up. And if I don't, he could keep going and never know that I fell off. <laughs> I could be back here on the floor. And now let's switch, Jamie. How about you go up to the stage? And I'll go in front. If God is behind us, if, if it's just me, and yeah, God's cool, and he and I have this understanding, but I just kind of do my thing, and sometimes we interact, say, hey, once, once twice a year, but I'm just kind of doing my thing, and, and he's kind of back here. Like, there's a problem with that, too, right? That's not the kind of God that we want. He's not a God that's in charge. He, he has no place in my life. I'm just doing whatever the heck I want. I don't really care what, what he's doing or where he's at. So to have a God that's, that's behind us, I know it seems kind of silly, but I want you to really think about that word with and what that means and, and why it's better. Because if it's God with us, then we can do a lot more. And it just feel, there's actual relationship here. And if we're working on something together, see, we can both see it, right? We can both work on it together. You're great. I know, yeah, yeah. You're doing great. <laughs> so, with this closeness, this is way better than anything else. Uh, similarly, can we go to the next slide? Think about the word in Matthew 28. It's a, we call it the great commission. What does co mean? What's the prefix? With. It's the with mission. Who are we doing this mission with? Yeah, Jesus, right? What did he promise? I will be with you always. It's a co-mission. It's not just something he sent me to go do. So he doesn't give, like, Jamie doesn't just give me the orders, and then I go out and do it. And likewise, Jamie doesn't just like, okay, Justin, you suck at this, so I'm just going to get in here and fix it for you. It's together. It's, he's going he's gonna to show me. He's going to teach me. He's going to help me. He's going to guide me. And, and the ways that I'm screwing up, he's going he's gonna to correct me. He's going to show me how to do it better. This commission, a, a with, is way better, way better than him just sending you off or him just doing it on his own. Th this is the kind of thing he's called us to. Thank you, Jamin. You're great. Guys, give Jamin a hand. He is awesome. He's really good at being with me up here. Uh, so, so that's what I want us to see, okay? I want us to see that, that this word with, we can skip over it super easy, but I want you to really reflect on that word, with. What does that mean? And I, we did all of this so that we could understand what it doesn't mean and try to kind of picture that in our heads. But you might then be asking, well, then what do we do? How do we, how do, we do life with Jesus? What's the alternative? How do, we, how do we do that? What does that look like? And so I, I, would say, I would say two things, at least. I mean, this, this can go forever. Like I said, I think this is something that God's been just stamping onto my heart for the last, like, two years. That this is the theme of the whole Bible. He wants to be with us. That's, if you read the first chapter of Genesis, you're going to see that he created a world to be shared with people. And then he screwed it up, and then every single chapter after that is the story of him fixing it and then us screwing it up again. 
But the beautiful thing is that once we get to the end of Scripture, we see that there's just no opportunity for us to screw it up anymore. And he's just made it happen so that we can be with him. And, and that starts now. It starts today. Because it started with him coming and promising to be with us and to save us. And so that offer is available to you right now. So, so if you're asking me what to do, what does that look like? Um, it looks like a few things. So one, if you're in this room and you're not following Jesus yet, if you haven't put your trust in him yet, today's the day. Today's the day to be with him. He's made every way possible for you to be with him. He, he desires, his name is God with us. It's what he wants. And so if you'll put your trust in him, he will cleanse you of your sin. He will take away the sucky parts of your life and replace it with his goodness. And like we talked about at the beginning, there is difficulty in that. There is hardship in that. You don't just get automatic joy. Joy comes after pain and difficulty. We're not signing up for an easy life or a comfortable life. We're signing up for a satisfaction kind of life, one where you can spend it with him. It's better with him than just by ourselves. So that's one. Another thing you can do uh, is, um, Emily, are we going to sing again after this? Awesome. So we just talked about how this Hebrew word, rena, is like, it's like, it can be singing. And a lot of the Psalms talk about the joy that they're having is they're singing. And so right now, as you're thinking about it, it's fresh on your mind. As we sing this final song, do it with this, this attitude of like, I am participating in joy. I get to worship the king who has displayed his amazing grace to, to all of us in this room through, through his word. Um, so you can do that. That'd be awesome. Uh, and then thirdly, I'd say as we kind of come into this next week, we're coming into a week where there's a lot of focus on, on Christmas. We're talking about Jesus' birth, but there's a lot of other stuff that gets attached to that, a lot of stuff about, like, buying a ton of presents, and you feel kind of guilty because somebody bought you something or you think they're going to, and so you want to buy something for them, but you kind of don't want to, but you feel like you should. And you kind of feel silly because it's like, well, maybe I should just buy them a gift card. And then they buy you a gift card, and it's like, well, why did we even, like, why just keep the money? Why did I spend $5 to activate this gift card? And you spent, we just both lost $5. It doesn't make any sense. All of that can cloud in there. That's in my mind. And when that's happening, take some time to practice being aware that God, even in that moment of cortisol increase, God is with you. Like, if you put your trust in him, it's not, it's not, a, it's not him, like, waiting for you to come to be with him. He's like, he just is. He just is with you. You don't have to do anything to earn that. He just promised that. And I think there's something really powerful about just being aware of that in the moment. So practice that. As, as things get stressful or just as you're kind of thinking about Christmas and you're thinking about Jesus being born, like think about the fact that this, this God of the universe came to be with us and the way in which he did that. He chose to come as a baby. That's really humiliating. That's amazing. So those are some things that you can do. And, and um, is there another slide after this one? I can't remember. Is there one after that? Yeah. So what if, what if, so if you think about how, like, you could do this, and then I want you to think about, too, not just for yourself, but what if everybody, what if every single person in this room lived this way? If we all lived with the joy 
of being living life with Jesus. How would that change your relationship with your family this season? If, if you, every moment, or every time you thought of it, or just you like set a reminder in your phone, or put something on your hand to remember that Jesus is with you, how would that change the way that you treat other people, the way that you behave, the way that you handle criticism, or the way that you handle uh, difficult situations? Just in your family. And how would that change things in this church? Like, what if everybody in this church lived this way all the time? Just always walking with this confidence that Jesus really is with us, and that we are partnering side by side with him to accomplish the mission here in Rapid City. How powerful would that be? We'd be like the wise men, doing like really crazy stuff that other people are going to look at and be like, wow, you guys are, you guys are really devoted. Like, kind of like scary devoted. Yeah, be us, probably. How would that change this city if the whole church were doing that? How would that change the city of Rapid City? How would that change the state of South Dakota? This country? The world? I think Jesus had it very much in mind that it would change the world. Otherwise, I don't think he would have commanded us to go and make disciples of it. He knew. This, this is life-changing stuff. And we'll just live in it. If we'll just live in his presence, we'll just walk in his presence and, and walk in the, in the confidence that comes from our, our, our solid understanding and awareness of his grace, it would change everything. Flip the world upside down like it did in the book of Acts when they were doing this. And so that's, that's my challenge to you. Um, I just want to pray uh, this psalm over you. As I was reading scripture to our girls last night, just out of nowhere, again, I think it was the Holy Spirit, uh, we're like, get to Psalm 126. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. This is just like hammering in what I'm talking about tomorrow. I did not plan that, didn't try for that. Um, do I have Psalm 126 on here? Yes. Okay, sweet. Let me read this to you. This is a song of ascent. So this is a song they would sing on their way to Jerusalem for different feasts and stuff like that. Uh, Passover, things like that. When Yahweh restored the captives of Zion, it was as if we were dreaming. So good. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with a song of joy. Then they said among the nations, so people outside looked at us and said, Yahweh has done great things for them. Jesus has done great things for them. Yahweh has done great things for us. We are joyful. Restore us from captivity, Yahweh, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with a song of joy. Whoever keeps going out weeping, carrying his bag of seed, will surely come back with a song of joy, carrying his sheaves. So I'm not sure where you're at. I know that um, this season can be difficult for people. I know that this season can be one of suffering. Maybe just your life in general feels like it's one of suffering moving forward. But I want to I call your attention to um, what it's like to give birth. There is difficulty. There is a push. There is strain. It's hard. There are tears. But at the end of that, not in the middle and not before, at the end, there is joy. Great joy. For Mary, as she's giving birth to Jesus, 
more than maybe anybody else can experience this. The difficulty that she went through, the suffering that she went through socially even before that point is nothing in comparison to the joy of her giving birth to the Savior of the universe. And we get to experience that, that joy with him. And I encourage you to live in that joy. Knowing that sometimes it will be difficult. There will be struggle. It will be challenging. The joy comes after the fact. It will come. So on this way, when we read the book of Revelation, we see that there's going to be some really gnarly things that happen, but we see immeasurable joy that can't be screwed up at the end. But we get, a, we get a slice of that now. We get to live in that right now. He promised his presence right now. So, so live in that as you go. We can be a light to the nations that they would look at us and say, wow, Jesus has done great things for them. I want to be a part of that. So will you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this group of people, for your body, your believers. These people who are unified uh, by your name uh, because of your, your suffering and because of the joy set before you, you endured the cross. You endured ultimate suffering and pain and death. Not for the sake of the suffering, but for the joy set after that point. And you take great joy. You rejoice exceedingly when you see people come into your kingdom, when you see people interacting with you and taking on that, that presence that you've promised to us. And so would we be people who follow you and have that presence? Would we lift up to you right now? Would we, would we praise you and give you the worship and the honor that is due to you as you continue to reveal to us more and more your very, very great grace? Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.
benediction, but I want to give you another good word before we depart. Lydia Louise Fowler. Born at 9.59 a.m., 7 pounds, 12 ounces, 19 inches tall, with her mom's full lips and her dad's big feet. I have a picture. You can chase me now. Hey, Justin. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rest in peace, come.